Hello, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Bar. I am your coach, your coach, your host. Hold on one minute. Yeah, do I have to edit this already? All right. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Bar. I am your host, Troy Haynes of Sky High and Fly Jump Camps. And today, our guest is Tony Holler, who is a uh, high school track coach in Illinois. And uh, I came across his profile on Instagram. And uh, he is the coach that has coined the term feed the cats. And Tony's philosophy, which uh, sounds like it's new and smacks of new um, and revolutionary, is that speed and uh, what he calls CNS, central nervous system training, is paramount in importance to just about every event that you can think of. Uh, sprints, hurdles, jumps, throws, and surprisingly even distance. And um, we sat down uh, about a month and a half ago, and uh, this is uh, added on the intro later, and uh, we discussed uh, how that all came to be. So uh, on this episode of Raise the Bar, get ready to listen to Coach Tony Holler and uh, be ready to be amazed. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just a track coach. Um, taught chemistry for 38 years, um, and I'm in my 42nd year of, of coaching football, basketball, and track. But uh, my 42nd year of coaching track, and that's all I do now. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's just a public school. I'm, I'm a head track coach, so I coach, you know, I've coached all 18 events. Um, but, you know, in the last 10 years, uh, you know, I, I've written a lot. And uh, I've created a lot of content that's um, been crazy. And it's taken me kind of all over the world and coast to coast and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, kind of fun. Awesome. So, uh, let's, uh, let me, um, let me ask this question here for your, for that content. This is something that that's, I haven't had a chance to talk with anybody else about because most of the guests are, they're either just quote unquote, just coaching, or they're in the middle of being an athlete or sometimes a little bit of both. Um, I had, a. A, a long and triple jump coach out here on the coast um next phase athletics you might have seen ryan sanders and he's still an active triple jumper um still you know kind of trying to train a little bit while he's coaching but i haven't talked with anybody just straight on the um the you know writing or publishing or whatever like i just i made a, a venture into doing um zoom classes just last year i call it high jump 101 and started you know, putting out some of my, my thoughts and my trainings for, we, you know, I break the high jump into five phases, straight curve, takeoff, flight, and layout, you know, and, and I started doing them step by step. Um, and there's an encyclopedia of high jump training in my head that is kind of slowly leaking out because it's too big to do it all in one shot, right? So I'm, I'm sure. kind of doing the whole, you know, how do you eat an elephant, <laughs> you know, one, one bite at a time kind of thing. Um, but I'm curious as uh, to hear your side of, of, you know, where you got that idea from and then how you started pursuing, you know, getting out these these writings and teachings. That, that's interesting. I've, I've done 
probably a hundred podcasts and I've never been asked that question. Um, and it, it's kind of a fun answer. Uh, 10 years ago, I was asked by our state association's website guy, if I would write maybe three articles in the next three months, you know, like three blogs. Um, and I was like, I've never written anything before, you know, right. and he's like, yeah. but I, I follow you on Twitter and you seem to have a hell of a lot to say. So, so I, I wrote an article. Uh, my first one was called my track and field life and uh, got great feedback. I mean, it was like, it, it's pretty awesome. You know, that all these people read it and liked it and, you know, right. like keep writing. And so in the last 10 years, I've written like 300 articles, um, got paid for one of them. Actually, this is one I sent you. Um, I, I actually got paid for that, but the other 299 or something, I, I wrote basically because as you know, um, nobody gives a rat's ass about track and field. Right. You know, like, you know, you, you have this head full of stories and information and opinions and nobody ever asks you about them. So, <laughs> so, so when I started writing, it was like, good God, um, I have a lot to say you know, and, and I'm still saying things and yeah. I'm evolving and talking about evolving. So then fast forward to, uh, my best friend, Chris Corfist is, uh, he's the head of reflexive performance, uh, reset. And, uh, he's just a speed guru, uh, national world, world renowned speed, sprint guy. And, uh, the two of us were having breakfast one day and we said, you know, like, were you speaking this winter? And I was like, I think I only got one place. And he goes, yeah, me too. You know, people don't ask you back if you spoke there once, you know, like, so we'd already burned. So we decided to start our own clinic um, that we called the track football consortium. Matter of fact, we had one in Sacramento um, in February and we plan on being in Orange County next February. Uh, but anyway, uh, with the consortium, we really started bringing in great people like, Bushex Nader and Cal Dietz and Latif Thomas and uh, I mean just Carl Lewis blah 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 you know just amazing talent and so that kind of upped our game nationally and so forth mm -hmm. um, and then and this is where the, my content thing kind of ends um, four or five years ago Championship Productions asked me to put out a DVD that was their company's bestseller in all sports for in 2018. And then it has remained their number one seller um, ever since in track and field. Um, but you don't make much money from championship productions. It's not a, a real favorable contract. So now all my contents on coach tube, that is just brilliant. Uh, yeah. Wade Floyd, uh, the CEO is really taking care of me. And my stuff is sold like crazy. And, you know, if they buy from your link, you get like 90% of yeah. the proceeds. It's yeah. amazing. It's it's really a win-win for content creators. Um, and then I guess one one last thing, my son Troy is a digital guy. He, um, um, and he, so he runs my YouTube, my Insta, and my TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm the Twitter guy. So anyway, so that that's my content story. And it, it's been a wild ride for 10 years because like 11 years ago, I'd never written anything, never produced anything. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I've never, I've never thought about actually writing 
a, an article or um, I tried to do a little blog on my on my site real early and and kept you know I was just too busy was, I don't know I know if you've had the same thing but it's between coaching and you know I'm still teaching right now and you know I might retire in a few years and then I can focus more but you know trying to do two things and commuting and you know it's like I I sit down if I have time to write something it seems like it's five ten minutes you know and it's like I I never can finish anything so um and, and like I said there is that that thing trying to get out of my head so I I think breaking it down into pieces has helped a little bit but um that's interesting what you're talking about there that the evolution right of of an idea and how it just kind of changes you know my wife keeps saying what are you what are you doing what do you want to do with this business I'm like babe I don't know like I don't I don't have this master plan in my head of exactly how this is going to work you know when I when I first started you know sky high and fly I started because I I had a I don't know if I've ever told the story before but I was coaching at Irvine High School and I had a a dad come up to me and I used to run you know meets on the weekends uh, for, for Brenton, the younger and the head coach. And, um, you know, I just sit there basically. And if he'd had a microphone on me, I was shooting, shooting up and down all the kids saying, okay, he's too close. He's too far out. He's too slow, you know, and, and, and commenting. And I had a dad who was helping me, who was, had been a relatively successful pole vaulter, like a 15 footer. And he, he had a kid who was in the, the meet that I didn't know. And, you know, he, basically afterwards came up to me and said, hey, I'd like to get my son to come by and, and work with you. Right. And I was like, yeah, great. Just bring him by practice one time here and, you know, I'll do some work with him. I spent a couple hours with this kid. He came out to practice. He had a little bit of talent and, you know, we're working along and um, we get done and dad shakes my hand and, and gave me 80 bucks, you know, had, had $80 in his hand. He said, you spent a couple hours with us, you know, I really appreciate it. And I was like, I hadn't even thought about that. I was just, coaching the way coaches do right I'm just like I was happy to get somebody that was interested so I'm like hey it's a profit deal <laughs> like somebody can somebody actually could pay me right so that was the the beginning and from there it just you know started uh I, I remember going through my business card phase and you know setting up the website and you know all these little things that happen and I'm a dinosaur when it comes to you know, you, you talked about having your son doing your tech. I'm like, oh man, do I need a tech guru? Because <laughs> you know, I'm not it. You know, I, this, this raise the bar thing you see in the background, my wife did that for me. She's like, yeah, you can put a virtual background on your Zoom meetings. I'm like, really? How do you do that? Yep. You know, I mean, no clues. And she's like, well, why don't you watch your competitors, see what they do? I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really care what they do. I'm just trying to do what I'm doing. I don't really know what I'm doing, but, uh, I, I probably should do that more. I'm just, I'm a slow, slow mover. So um, uh, aside from this, um, uh, putting out what's in your head, um, go go with this coach a little bit through your your background, your, your uh, you know, in Illinois training, um, and you've done this for a lot of years. How'd you get started? What did, what did you do in high school? Like, give us the, the big picture and, you know, throw, drop out some of those big names of athletes that you've coached and Give us those highlights. Yeah, the um, uh, I always start with saying uh, that I was born a coach's kid. Uh, my my dad was a uh, was a head basketball coach at the age of twenty three, and um, and you know my mom was twenty, and uh, um, I was born uh, on the night of a basketball game. Um, <laughs> I was delivered 
couple hours after the game was over. My dad coached it, all that kind of stuff. Um, so being the the firstborn to a, a coach that was a career coach, you know, 47 years in the business, high school and college, 44 as a head coach. So he didn't just dabble in it. I mean, it was his life. It was his total life. And um, and so I was his wingman. Um, I mean, from the age that I could travel with him, I traveled everywhere with him. He, uh, I was 10 years old and I was going to coach his clinics, um, okay. you know, seeing the best and brightest basketball coaches in, in the world uh, speak. And I think I fell in love with content and clinics and information through those experiences with my dad. So I became, uh, I played basketball. I, I was a quarterback in football. I played basketball for my dad and that was my first love. And then I kind of ran track as an afterthought. Like so many, the track is really a stepchild in, in most athletes' lives, right. um, especially athletes that are multi-sport athletes. It's like, yeah, uh, we'll, I'll run track in the in, in the spring. It won't hurt me. You know, it'll be, be pretty good for me. And I ended up doing it in college too. I never liked it. Um, I kind of liked winning races, but you know, I hated practice. We <laughs> we were just we were just run to death. Um, you know, I and it's made me rebel. Um, and that's what Feed the Cats is all about. Um, so I became a, a head basketball coach like my dad, and I got fired after eight years at the age of 30. And the same board that fired me in basketball hired me as the head track coach because they had no one else the month before they fired me in basketball. Right. And so I, had, with four kids, I had to reinvent myself and I had to accept this sport that I always thought was a stepchild as, you know, as a real kid now, you know, and yeah. we're, we're, we're going to do this. And so, you know, I had some unusual success where we won some state championships and state trophies and things like that. And, coach some good athletes and and just as you well know um the more you do something the better you get at it and the better you get at it the more you love it and mm -hmm. and so at, at this point you know I probably love track more than I've ever loved it uh at the age of 64 I feel younger than I felt when I was 24 but part of that's due to my overriding philosophy of the whole feed the cats concept of making practice the best part of a kid's day Mm -hmm. um, when you do that, uh, the ref uh, as a coach, that reflection of the kids loving what they do really makes you enthusiastic, and I think makes you a better coach. And I think that's that's why you know my ideas have kind of taken uh, taken flight um, uh, with so many schools. So get you you use that catchphrase "feed the cats," and uh, I, I haven't done as a lot of digging into your research. So fill us in on that. What is what is that philosophy, coach? Uh, a, a, a turning point in, in uh, 1999, um, uh, I had a, a, a distance uh, uh, dominated team that should have won the state championship in 98, but did not. It was like a 95 degree day. We were competing two consecutive days and we got beat by a team of sprinters and jumpers. And I said, damn, it'd be a lot easier to win state championships with sprinters and jumpers. Right. And so that was Part one, part two, uh, my son was, was a great um, young athlete. He could dunk the ball uh, in basketball in the eighth grade. And uh, and he said, Dad, I'm not going to run track in high school. Uh, you know, track sucks. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, but, but. And I thought, damn, it really does suck. 
if I can't get my own kid to come out for my team, <laughs> you know, what are we doing wrong here? And, and then the third thing I saw, saw a guy speak named Paul Souza, um, a great, he was a seven, four high jumper at Penn state. And, uh, he, he was just a D three coach out in uh, Massachusetts and never even knew him, but I went to a clinic and saw him and he talked about getting on the bus. And when you get on a track bus, you see the big throwers, you know, the gorillas of the world, you know, and right. then you see the, the distance guys, the skinny guys, you know, the, um, uh, and then, and then you, you got the cats, you got the sprinters and jumpers, the cats. Yeah. And th those things all kind of popped into my head. And I said, I'm going to start feeding the damn cats. Yeah. I I'm going to start nurturing these people where they are. And so basically I became the anti Clyde Hart. Uh, we don't ever with my sprinters never do anything more than a 200 in practice. And that's seldom we, uh, we are max speed. Uh, we are constantly doing short flies, record rank and publish. I'm huge. I've kind of started the miles per hour craze. Mm -hmm. um, we give wristbands for miles per hour, 2021, 20, 22, 23. Um, we, we, uh, I, I, I'm told I shouldn't say that we don't work hard. Uh, what we've done is we, we redefine work. We perform in practice in very small segments mm -hmm. and we build all of our stuff on a foundation of rest, recovery, and sleep. And truly we make practice the best part of a kid's day. And those things combined do a great job of, uh, increasing the uh interest in my sport hey coach can i can i get you to hold just a second i've got an uh, yeah. an emergency here from my, one of my um my superior oh, so no hang problem on just saying let me find out what's going on i'm, I'm here uh, i'm here thank you sir hang on one no. second there you have it all right so where where were we well basically i was saying that we because we make uh practice the best part of a kid's day it's yeah. the opposite of the experience i had where I hated every practice yeah, and kind of liked the meets. Uh, I was a 400 guy. So you could just imagine how I was just running to the ground every damn yep. day. We'd run six miles on a Monday wow. to strengthen our hamstrings. I mean, and then, then we would do repeat 200, repeat 400, you know, just crazy stuff. And my guys never yeah. do that. And we just get fast and, and it, 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 you know, we're really good in the four by four. We're good in the 400 because speed is the basis of everything um, in track and field. And, uh, you know, our jumpers are good, all that stuff. And I think one of the great things is I say that every school has a good track team. They're just not out for the sport. Right. And so one of the keys to the feed the cats approach is that you will attract cats to your program. And then when you get them to love their training, they will improve, you know, yeah. and if you can get those two things going on, yeah. Um, it just makes the sport a lot more fun to coach. That's uh, so awesome hearing that from you. Um, I've, I just went under in the last three or four years, um, you know, starting to become a student again. I, I had, I had disappeared from even watching track myself. You know, I'm avid sportaholic. I, I play golf. I love football. You know, I watch, I'm watching the Lakers on trying to win, you know, with LeBron and, and Anthony Davis on TV the other night. And, 
you know, I watch tennis. I mean, uh, you know, it, it would drive most people crazy if they don't have those genes, of course. And um, I, it took me a while to, to get back into actually paying attention to higher level track because I'd been out of it for a while. You know, I retired for a few years and then, you know, coaching at the high school level, not getting any of my kids really to go up to college level and and really not paying attention, you know, busy and and all that. So it took me a while to get back into it. And then I started watching, you know, Barshim and Bondarenko and, you know, some of these guys. Uh, I watched one of my big favorites now is Brandon Stark from Australia. You know, great feed, always shows a lot of his training. Um, and I came to that realization. What you just said is that everything's about speed. Because uh, um, you know, I have a, a master's degree in exercise science from Cal State Long Beach. And one of my professors went through and said one time, he goes, um, you know, the world record for the 100 meters is, you know, 9.6, whatever. And he said, what what keeps the human body from running a marathon where you could run every 100 meters, you know, that fast? That was the the way he started his speech. And then we started going through metabolism, right, and how how you burn fuels and all that. And that was one thing that got me thinking about, about these things. And I realized someone told me that the world record in the marathon now is averages under five minute miles. Is that right? I'm pretty sure that's correct, right? Yeah, so I think it's about 450 a mile. Yeah. 450 a mile average for 26 miles, which is freakishly fast. And, you know, when I, I started thinking what you said, I'm like, well, that's if that's true in the marathon, then it's got to be true everywhere else. You know, and when, when it's done right then absolutely and i'm i'm looking at my speed high jumpers of course the long jump's always been about speed you know from carl lewis on and you know on down and backwards and then um you know i i was watching the shot put with with krauser and i'm like man he gets through the ring fast you know i'm like for a big dude he's doing those two circle spins he's moving you know i go it's it's a different kind of speed in its own way but it's speed you know, and then Sergei Bubka, you know, 20 foot vaulter, what I heard when I was, you know, and I was a little bit closer to his range when I was competing in age, I heard he ran a 10, 400 meters with a pole in his hands. And I'm thinking that's pretty fast for a guy's not using his arms. You know, I mean, he must've been pretty freakishly fast, you know, and you start realizing speed is, is everything, you know, like you said. So, um, yeah, that that realization, I, I love that idea. And now what else keeps coming out, coaches, is, um, you know, load management. You know, now we're hearing all this stuff where people are starting to realize, you know, that uh, I, if I don't make it through the regular season with my guys intact, it doesn't matter what our record was in the regular season. We're flat, we're, we're, we're dead tired, and we're injured. And these other teams that, you know, struggled at the start – and stayed healthy and, and got hot at the right time are beating us, right? So you start getting these people going, we need to figure out a way. And it, But we're still, I think, at that tipping point. You know, what you're saying is something that I've been thinking for a while, but it's like, I don't know, I've watched, and you're, you're the same age demographic as I am. I remember watching, my mom was a figure skater. So she used to do, you know, what they do on ice skates, on roller skates, but basically the same stuff, the jumps, the lifts, the throws, all that stuff in pairs. And, you know, those athletes would train, you know, the way, the way they do it. And they even show it, they start the music and they start doing their whole routine from the beginning, right. All the way through. And when they screw up, the coach yells at them and then they go back to the beginning 
and they start over and you're like okay wait when you get to four minutes and you're dead tired you might miss that side-by-side -side quad jump you know when you're getting tired at the end so i mean in one way it shows a little bit of wisdom like okay well maybe we need to practice trying to do it when we're a little bit tired but at the same time maybe the way we're practicing is lending to that you know like you're saying why why do i want to run 400s and 500s and 600s and the conventional wisdom is you know this lay down your base right and then taper later or whatever and then you know everybody's got their own theories but man as a as a high jumper i think the reason i'm still in business like you said is kids like coming to practice because i'm not when i make them run they're running 40 feet to the bar <laughs> you know they don't, they don't run hundreds and two hundreds you know much in training we do some short you know striders and sprints but not nothing like that so how do you how do you think we get that out more into the mainstream you know you're from the feed the cats to also just your your idea of nothing more than a 200. yeah it's, it's uh, to me it's i've been compared sometimes to a like a evangelical uh, preacher when i speak about this stuff because uh -huh. it's it's so it's so important to me to improve the experiences of kids um too many kids have terrible experiences and you know it was believed for years and years that hard work in and of itself might be the most important thing about sports and so even in sports like baseball they would run kids to death and 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 to me it's just so backwards um you know you're talking about speed being the basis of everything uh, i love to talk about offensive tackles in football Mm -hmm. You know, the guys are 6'5", 320 pounds and can run 21 miles an hour. Um, and you think, well, that speed is not even necessary for them to play uh, because they never truly sprint in a game. Right. But here's the deal. Um, I'm, I'm in a partnership right now with Les Bellman, who's, um, I believe, last year he trained eight of the top 27 draft picks you know, in the NFL draft. And you know, we talk about this a lot, that that we really should maybe rebrand speed training as CNS training, that yeah. it is the central nervous system that is trained when we sprint as fast as we can sprint. And that CNS development, you know, I, I say be general in the weight room, be extreme in speed training and be specific with your sport. And and if we train by sprinting as fast as we can in a straight line with the wind if possible, our CNS will slowly, I say speed grows like a tree, will slowly improve, which governs all movement. Yeah. Whether you're backwards, forwards, jumping high, jumping far, it doesn't matter. If you're a volleyball player, you should be sprint training. I mean, that is, sprinting is the number one, when I say somebody's athletic, they're always fast. Yeah. Always. There's no such thing as, as oh, man, he's athletic, but he's really slow. Right. No. Athletic means, first and foremost, fast. Um, so so I think that's that that's really important. And then you, you don't get that by training to fatigue. You know, Lombardi said fatigue makes cowards of us all. Yeah. 100% correct. 100% correct. But coaches took that, put it on their wall, and went out and destroyed kids. They, they they made them fatigued, somehow thinking that that would 
become lead to better performance, right. which is not, is not true. I mean, I feel so, so strongly about this, the book that I, I've been writing for about two years now, hopefully it will come out soon, uh, is called Tired is the Enemy. Because you cannot practice uh, motor movement. I mean, you you can't high jump when you're tired. Right. You, uh, you don't shoot the basketball very well when you're tired. Um, tired is the enemy of performance. Yeah. So, so to think that coaches have focused on getting tired and at every practice, no matter what the sport is, uh, for all these years is just, it's just wrong. And I think when people hear my ideas, they're like, damn, what, that would be easier actually to coach if we didn't have to just focus on hard work. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, it'd be a lot easier to teach kids a high jump instead of making them run laps. Right. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious because, um, you know, so many of the things we're, we're talking about, I, I've had what I would say is not trained by anyone or, you know, taught by someone like yourself. Like if I was, you know, if I was in Illinois, I'd probably be coming up to you now going, okay, I want to just follow you around and watch what you do. Right. And, and see what this means, you know, as you're applying it on the track, um, being a couple thousand miles away, I'm thinking, you know, what do I do when I train my athletes? And, you know, I've, I've got these files on my Instagram because I'll see stuff and I'll take it and I, I watch the drill and I'm like, oh, here's an excellent, you know, workout for glutes or for, you know, I follow the knees over toes guy. I saw that guy and I'm like, oh, this stuff looks great for joint stability. You know, I've always got people complaining of shin splints. And, and I'm like, if this guy had his ACL torn out and he can do this stuff, this must be pretty good. You know, and I I joined up for a while and I listened and I'm like, OK, it's all seems pretty sound. And, you know, I didn't do any great research on it, but I do a lot of the eye test. Right. And so I'm like, OK. And I I've got in my own training program for people you know, some of the things that you're talking about when I go, you know, for me, speed endurance continuum. And that's something that I I know just from a very little bit, again, as a high jumper and not a sprinter. Um, and so, you know, when you're talking about this, this philosophy, I'm thinking on that end, you know, the continuum that I've been dealing with, which goes basically um, the idea of the laying down the base. Let's, let's do it in weights first. Like say you go, uh, five sets of eight in the weight room, uh, full squats, you know, and then do that for three or four weeks. And then we go to five sets of five and maybe we don't go as deep and we add some weight. Right. And then towards the end, we go through another four week cycle there. And then maybe we start doing three sets of three and even higher weights and maybe quarter squats now. Right. So we got this base pyramid of five sets of eight is starting to go up. We're starting to taper all that stuff. And Again, maybe this is even in itself super traditional, right? Maybe you know I'm I'm asking as as you're looking at it, if you're like going, dude, that's way overtraining. You know, <laughs> you're what are you doing the five sets of eight for, right? So explain how that how that works with your your weights, maybe even coach, and then and maybe even like in the course of a sprint workout. Yeah, I, I think that um, that we've had that idea pounded into our head that we go base. You know, we, we start long and slow, we end up short and fast. Right. And, uh, and what I say is that that's planting beans 
and expecting to grow corn. Right. That speed grows like a tree. Well, if we take 11 months a year building a base and then taper, you know, in the championship season, we have never built the correct base. Right. The correct base is improving our maximal velocity. Um, if, if we can, you know, have a hurdler that it could run 19 point, uh, 19.1 miles an hour as a junior, that's really slow. And, you know, no matter how hard he'd work at the hurdles, if, if your max speed is 19.1 miles an hour, it, you're going to have a hard time breaking 16 in the highs. I mean, yeah. you're, you're just slow. I don't care how technical you are, how hard you work, how much you lift, your speed is holding you back. Well, this year he runs 21.8. And, you know, that that's not a common, you know, to improve over two miles an hour is not a common jump in a year. But it does happen if you keep watering that bamboo. If you keep if you keep at it consistently, two or three speed sessions a week, um, where the athletes are happy and healthy, they're never hurt, they never have shin splints because your your uh, your volume is so damn low. And what blows people's minds, and there are literally hundreds and hundreds of feed the cats coaches out there. I, mean, I, I think there's probably thousands. And what they tell me is that when they started doing that, they, they thought this would be really good for short sprints, jumps, but what are we going to do about speed endurance? And I said, well, we, we're going to do some lactate workouts, you know, like maybe eight or nine of them during the season, but that's it. And even those are like three by 200. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, low rest this is still not high volume and so when they embark in this uh, journey they really don't believe that their four by fours are going to be competitive but yet they are because we've i think you've seen this i've seen this i got stories at least 10 stories of of a great sprinter being thrown into the four by four mm -hmm. having never run a full lap in his life and he goes out and kills it because conditioning is really overrated. Um, yeah. You do not have to be a cross-country athlete to run a fast lap. As a matter of fact, cross-country guys can't run fast laps because their max speed is not good enough. Right, right. So, uh, you know, when you talk about weightlifting and stuff, I, I, I think that we can perform in the weight room like we perform on a track. I think we can go in and do performance level work in the weight room without uh, going through long base periods. And it's just so hard for us to try something radically different. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yet most big things that happen in our world happen when somebody has a counterintuitive thought mm -hmm. that we're going we're gonna to do less to achieve more. That That's counterintuitive. No, yeah. nobody says that, you know, like, Hey, uh, an extra hour of sleep is more important than any workout you ever do. Yeah. People are like, I, I don't accept that because we, you know, that's, that's not the, uh, that's not the way Americans were raised. You know, we, right. we're hard workers. And, uh, so many times hard work leads to injury or, uh, or actually reduced performance. And for sure, really hard work day after day that is not joyous 
uh, will make you not want to do that activity forever. Right. Yeah. And I want my, I want my track kids to love it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, it's interesting that you say that because I can think of empirically a, a couple of different times, both in my own career and, and in my athletes, um, as a senior in high school, I had shin splints all the time. Cause you know, the one thing about high jumpers, you know, for the most part, you know, people are right when they accuse us, they go, most high jumpers are lazy. I would go, okay. Yeah. And you know, like, tell me something I don't know, but they're cats. not, they're not lazy when it comes to high jump practice. Like we, I jumped every day. I would jump Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because it was fun and you're getting the feedback of going over the bar. Right. And everything's great. So I had bad shin splints because I just jumped, you know, all the time. And, you know, we had meet on Thursday, had an invitational on Saturday, usually right on the weekends. I'd already jumped Monday and Tuesday, probably didn't jump Wednesday because like I got to have at least one day rest. And, you know, by the end of the season, my shins are hamburger. And so um, we get, you know, spring break would come and usually my coach would give me the week off, which was welcome, you know, come back after a week off start to feel a little better again. And then we go through the crush of the season, you know, that you get to the big meets. I didn't know about these to my junior and senior year, but that's our league finals. And then we start our, our run to the state, you know, it took about four or five weeks of elimination rounds to get there. And again, shin started to break down. You know, I was taking aspirin all the time. I was, I woke up a couple mornings spitting up blood, you know, and, you know, we're both sitting here going, I, I understand it. I know where that came from. And I have vowed as a coach to not do that to my athletes, you know, um, and both times that I was rested, the, the time with the, the spring break came back after that. I think we had a, a makeup meet on a Tuesday. I jumped six, nine after having a week off. And then, you know, two days later, jumped six, eight and went to the Arcadia big invitational out here and jumped well. And you know, it was, I think it was because I was well rested, you know, and then, my senior year, I got, I strained the hamstring just a tiny bit doing the the jump and um, at the league finals. And my coach gave me the whole week off before prelims. And then I jumped six, seven first jump and was in, you know, I was like, and felt great. So what you're saying is I did less and I got more out of it, right? Because my body was saying, hey, this is crazy. You're doing too much work. And if I don't listen to my body and I keep pushing, then your body says, okay, fine we'll just break. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just give you an injury that will make you stop because you can't do this to yourself, you know? And I think one of the things that came out of that is, and probably the best learning is that way, right? I was, I'm extremely hard headed, but I do learn my lessons. And what I've done with my kids when it gets to the end of the season is that the tapering definitely comes into my mind where it's like, Hey, I, you know, you get those parents you're like, Oh, we, we want to jump today. We're going to do this. I said, no, 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 we're not doing anything. Just jog, stretch, a couple light striders, you know, and you guys ice bath later and, you know, let's call it. We do a couple run throughs. I mean, I just lightened up on these guys and it's it works. And that that's a small, I'm sure, a small sample of what you're talking about. Um, but it, it makes sense to me. And then what we're seeing now is a boom in this, which I still think like you said, Americans in general are, are having trouble with because you listen to these guys on and they, they kill players and all these guys for not playing, you know, during the season. And I think um, Popovich, I'm not a big fan of Popovich, but he was the guru 
of load management when he had his aging stars, right? We're all in their mid thirties. And he's like, Hey, you know, we want to milk another championship out of these guys. We're going to take some days off. And it may happen to be against a team that the NBA would like to see us put out a full effort against in the regular season. And we could care less. We don't care if we win our division by 20 games. We don't care. We just want to get to the playoffs and have these guys healthy and rested and ready to do what they do because nobody cares who wins the regular season, <laughs> you know? So you and I are in that business of, of building these athletes. And, you know, like you said, where speed rules and have them perform when the chips are down, you know, and they got to be healthy, right? You got to be rested and all those things. I love it. Coach. The, uh, Eat the cat. The, uh, I was going to say the, uh, uh, you'd love this story being a high jumper. Um, I had a high jumper who in his senior year, um, he cleared seven footer better 14 different times. And, um, his best jump was a seven two. And one of the things that, um, that made him great, this sounds weird as hell, but he started in center field 26 times for the baseball team that spring which kept him from jumping right uh, it, as, as you know great athletes want to work charlie francis said the the, the best sprinters have to be held back they right. don't have to be pushed well anybody that's good at anything well if you're good at the high jump you want to high jump every day and i don't think there's anything worse for a high jumper than to high jump every day right and and so it, it's bizarre but I mean, like, I have a rule that anybody that has any type of soreness in their shins does not practice that day. And you know what? They're always, like, 99% of the time, they are 100% the next day. Right. And, and to keep kids healthy like that, instead of, as you know, back in our day, you know, they say rub some dirt on it. We're right. going to work. Yeah. You know you need to get used to living a sore life as an athlete. And I'm like, well, gee, you know, beat up, banged up, injured, miserable kids. They don't perform in practice and they probably don't perform when it counts. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I have a kid who's a typical story and I, I feel bad for the kid. Um, and I don't know who's to blame more, whether it's just the way it all works out, but he's a, basketball player, a volleyball player, and a high jumper. So he he played on the basketball team. I think he played travel ball um, or club, whichever. And then he also did volleyball and club volleyball. And then his mom's bringing him to jump workouts with me. And I, I'd see him walk out. I, first time I saw him walk out, this, this kid looked exhausted. We hadn't done one thing yet. I go, how do you feel? He's like, yeah, you know, I'm okay. I go, you have practice last night. Yeah. You getting sleep. Yeah, I got a little bit of sleep, you know? And I'm just like, I, and I'm telling the mom, I go, you're, you're going to break this kid. You're just going to break him. He's, he's going to eventually break something catastrophic or he'll just, he's going to master the art of going half speed because he's just doesn't have a whole lot of full speed reps in him, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm watching this this year. A kid never jumped over six feet and I saw some potential but most of what I got was like you're saying were just lackluster efforts because of overtraining, you know, radical, you know, th 
three sports at the same time we're talking. I mean, that's just, it's suicide. So, you know, taking all that into account and, and, but like you said, man, the American way is hard work and grind it out and, you know, rub some dirt on it. And, you know, and there's guys that they take advantage of the training room and, and God bless the trainers, you know, to, to keep stretching it. But at the same time, I don't know if this analogy works for you. I, I do this with my jumpers. I, I compare it to a video game. I, I grew up, you know, right, right when the video game started getting out, I was in my mid to late twenties. So, um, and I remember some of the fighting games where, you know, you're, you've got a power bar at the bottom. And when you take a punch, your power bar starts to shrink, right? So you, you take a punch and a punch, and your power bar shrink, 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 shrink. And then finally you get hit. And it doesn't matter if it's a jab or a hook or whatever, but if you're at the sliver at the bottom, it eats up your power and you're knocked down. And then you're frantically pushing your buttons and you're trying to get back up, right? And to get, and when you stand up, the power bar comes back, but it only fills up halfway. And I said, to me, that's the perfect analogy of what we're doing with these athletes is we drain the power bar then they go to sleep and they eat and they rest and they do whatever they do and it recovers but it doesn't recover all the way. So you drain the batteries a little bit, and then the next day you do more. And you drain the batteries a little more, and they recover a little bit. And I go, the thing that that is amazing about high school kids is how well they recover because they're young and they're still growing and all that stuff. So they have an amazing ability to stretch and to come back to where the power bar is almost where you left it the day before. You know, or maybe it's only five degrees down, and then but you still grind them down, right? And at the end, they end up breaking. And there's that thing called survivor bias, you know, that every coach that overworked kids, and I, I think that probably 60 to 70% of all coaches are still that way today. They just coach the way they were coached. Um, and and you're going to have some success if you're, you know, if you have some charisma as a coach, no matter how you train kids. And you can train kids doing way too much. And you will still have some healthy kids at the end of the year who may perform well. And if you are basing your coaching on the survivors uh, and, and, and not thinking about the, uh, the 20 kids that quit your team and the 10 kids that could not run at the end of the season because they were broken. Right. Um, I, I think that's, that's what happened. I mean, every football team, uh, there's nobody appreciates hard work more than a football uh, coach. And what they put their kids through in the summer um, is almost like a military training. And yeah. they see extreme fatigue as building toughness and, you know, pushing through barriers. But you know what? They all get slower. Um, they don't know that because they're not timing anybody. Right. <laughs> but they all get slower. They all get beat up. Now, feed the cats. Football coaches don't do that because they're timing twice a week, even during the season. Yeah. Uh, because there, there is no better barometer of a kid's health than how fast he runs. Yeah. If you have a 22 mile an hour kid and he comes in on Monday, run 19, you have a problem. Now, the problem might be you, maybe him, it may be a combination, but speed, speed is a great barometer of an athlete's health. Yeah. Interesting. God, there's, there's so much. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me how, how I, I've gone through this and I, I keep learning, you know, all the time from you coaches. I want to thank you again, coach. Um, 
for spending your time. I, I, I just, it really opens my eyes and, and it shows me that there's so much left to learn. Like, I think, man, I got a real good handle on this and I got, you know, that. and then, and then it seems like God will always bring me somebody that just goes, wait a minute, <laughs> you haven't considered this yet. You know, and it's like, oh, wait, okay. Um, and I'm trying to, to, you know, put it all together in the, the master framework. Um, I heard what you said earlier about the central nervous system. Um, I found this, I find it very interesting in that I've seen the, the workouts on Instagram where somebody gets the treadmill going really, really fast, right? And so they get somebody and you're standing there waiting and they, they might put their hands down and get their feet on it to where it's going. And then they take their hands off and they just do their best to keep up until they can't, right? Where they're just flying. And I don't know what the miles per hour are, but it, I know there's a, you can, you can get to a place where your legs are moving faster than you could move them yourself, right? Because with that little bit of grip at the bottom of your foot and that thing is flinging your leg back, as long as you don't fall down, you're, you're moving pretty fast, right? So you've got what I think there is a, a decent example of CNS work, right? Because you have to do some kind of adapting to survive there, right? Um, when I was at UCLA, the great, I'm, I'm throwing out my props, but um, Coach Anthony Curran, who's one of my mentors at UCLA, great pole vault coach, he, this is in the early 80s, he built a pole vault ramp there with a one degree downhill slope for his vaulters. And I remember him telling me at the time, he goes, yeah, this is going to help them, you know, with their speed. They're going to be able to move their limbs faster and do whatever. They obviously can't compete that way, but I found it an interesting thing. And I have, have sought to get places in my training where we do get some downhill running in, you know, um, for the same reason, you know, not, not a long time, not at a steep slope, you know, because you get the pounding. So, you know, but that whole thing, there's, there's just so many pieces to the puzzle. Um, so what is, uh, what is coming up for you in the state? You're still coaching. Are you, you're still at the high school level there? Yes. Yeah. We, we just hosted a 16 team sectional last night. So, uh, uh, so I was up pretty late. Um, but you know, we, we qualified in 12 events for our state meet next week. It's a mm -hmm. two-day state meet Friday and Saturday where we have Friday prelims, Saturday finals. And then um, and then our season's over. And uh, it's kind of a nice thing about being a retired chemistry teacher is that, um, you know, I still have that season that just totally blacks out the sun for me. But um, in, in about 10 days, uh, I get to reopen my book and, and do my third rewrite of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm speaking at a couple clinics um i think three clinics in june and and three in july and and then of course winter is my big clinic season where i do yeah. a lot of traveling and stuff mm -hmm. um but yeah I, I do a lot of consulting too uh, i've consulted with um i think six of the top 20 lacrosse programs uh in the nation at the mm -hmm. ncaa level um and you know like a, a team like for example is now feeding the cats uh actually they're feeding the tigers um, right. And they made the uh, final four last year, first time in 18 years. And basically what that means is they're just, they're sprinting twice a week and they care mm -hmm. about miles per hour yeah. and they've stopped and they stop conditioning. They don't run their kids anymore. They play lacrosse and they sprint. And they were really worried that what's going to happen late in the game. Are we going to fall apart? 
fast kids are fast in the at the end of the game too. Right. You know, the speed, speed is it really a type of endurance? Yeah. The faster you are, the if you can run 22 miles an hour, you can run all day at 20. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the idea of that speed actually creates endurance, but endurance does not create speed. If you go right. out and run kids to death, they will get slower. And so, um, and so those are really important concepts for even a field sport that I know very little about. Mm-hmm. What do you, when you, uh, with this counseling, like um, this week, I have a, a kid who's going to our, the meet right before going to state. So if he can get through this meet, he could conceivably go to the state meet. And I have him running uh, tomorrow. I told him I wanted to run um, or today. I told him this yesterday. So today's tomorrow. Okay. I told him to run today. Uh, I wanted to run 40 meters and full recovery, 30 meters, full recovery, 20, full recovery, 10, and then recover. We're going to do three of those and done. That's his, his workout for today. Um, so to finish up, Coach, I know you're a busy man. You got things you got to do. Um, and I got my first period class coming up here, or yeah. second period, but my first period of the day. Um, my my brain just starts overloading with all the possibilities and training and everything. But we're, we were talking about the feed the cats. And I, uh, I was saying that high jumpers are active for about five seconds and then they rest. So we're, yeah. we're like got to be the perfect, you know, case study, right, for you, the perfect idea of training at high speed i i keep thinking i just want to change horizontal speed into vertical lift and so i need to get people fast you know and and part of that for me is i've got to train them to to run fast and then get ready to jump which is not always easy as you know as you you're running full speed you can't all of a sudden go wait i gotta jump you know because your arms are busy doing what they do when you're sprinting and so, you, you know, there's a little bit of learning curve there, but um, that's pretty much the battle that I've been go- undergoing. I'm starting to think like a European. I'm I'm changing a lot of my girls to the European single arm, get them tall, run them off the ground, you know, and see what happens. And it's it's almost easy. You know, it's uh, silly. Is If I can get them fast and running with high cycling, they just come right off the ground nice and easy. You know, don't, don't have to really be able to jump, which is kind of funny. It's counterintuitive. But um I love that the mentality. I keep thinking of the cheetahs, you know, they, they sprint and they hit or miss, you know, they sit there and they hyperventilate <laughs> for, for a while, you know, before they go again. So um, this it's, it's already revolutionizing my thinking. Um, do us a, a favor and, and do some uh, pimping for yourself on, you mentioned a couple of places that you're going to be. Um, you know, if I can help promote that in any way, I will. And I also, uh, just for my own sake, would like to know some of those dates and places. You mentioned uh, ending up out here in Orange County next year, and I want to know about that. But then let us know kind of a, a little bit of your itinerary, and uh, if there's any way I can promote you, of course I will. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm speaking at a uh, strength and conditioning national, I believe it's called NATCON, N-A-T-C-O-N, in Chicago area um, in in June. Um I'm speaking virtually to a cross country, the Texas cross country coaches in June. That's going to be interesting um, because I'm kind of the anti um, distance guy, you know, but, but, you know, I, I still think you can say, stay general in the weight room, be extreme in speed training, and then be specific to your sport. And if you're specific to your sport in cross country, you're doing cross country stuff, you know, but yeah. those kids need to become more athletic too. 
you know, and that's the thing I'm like, we're there. Um, I'm three days in Norman, Oklahoma, um, in the middle of July. Um, um, that's going to be an interesting clinic. Um, I'm, I'm doing a, a recorded thing in Vegas, but that's that will have no audience in July. The one in in um, Orange County, um, we have not announced the high school uh, site yet, but it's going to be the first uh, weekend in February, the weekend before the Super Bowl. And uh, a track football consortium is a is a I think a brilliant concept because what we do is we bring in people uh, from different places. You know, we had uh, you know for example we did one in Iowa where we had Matt Campbell, the head coach at at Iowa State. And the person talking right before him was Joey Woody, the, the great uh, track coach from Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the guy before that was uh, Steve Jones, who is probably the national guru of leadership. And he wrote a book called The Twin Thieves, which is amazing. Um, so we what we do is we bring in football, basketball, uh, I mean, all kinds of different coaches, but they're all performance coaches. I mean, mm-hmm. we can all learn when we get out of our silo and, and you know, I, I think there's things that I can, I can teach a football coach because I'm a track coach. Right. And, um, and, you know, so, so I think it's a healthy cross-pollinization type thing that we do. Um, and that's going to be, like I said, in, in early February, we have not announced our Chicago TFC yet. Um, in December, but people can find that stuff just by following me on Twitter. And this at PN Track, um, and then of course, you know, if you Google my name, it goes all through my YouTube stuff and all that. Right. All right. Well, hey, Coach Tony Holler, I appreciate you and your feed the cats and your your willingness to uh, you know come down and and slum with the guys in the low thousands on the in, their Instagram podcasts. Um, I greatly appreciate your time and your experience and your patience as we suffered through more technical glitches than I've had in a long time. Um, I will definitely have to save it in uh. the editing phase, um, but that's doable with all these great computers that we have. Um, and I look forward to, uh, you know, if I figure out where you are in uh, February. When I know where that is, I will, I'm going to do my best to, to be out there. And uh, you're going to be one of my, my top follows. Like I, I have the, the knees over toes guy. And I have, uh, I, I watch a lot of Adonis Harrison's, you know, stuff. And then, uh, definitely, uh, have you on there as well. Cause I want to, I want to apply this to what I do seems tailor-made. <laughs> I'd be a, a fool not to take advantage of it. Oh yeah. We would like to get the knees over toes guy to speak at a consortium. So if you, if you know him well, oh, um, gosh, I wish. Him. I, I, what I really want to do coach is uh, I, I kind of want to take what he's done <clears throat> and, you know, I'm a 59 year old, you know, white guy that used to do the high jump. And uh, I think I was in my mid forties, I could still dunk. And now I'm where I can barely touch the rim. And I'd, I'd like to take the stuff that he does. Well, what you do well, uh, stuff like what Adonis Harris, Adonis Harrison does well on his site, the explosive, power, speed, and the non-overtraining part and get to where I could dunk a basketball at, at age 60 again, you know, within a year. 
Um, you know, I don't, I obviously, I don't think I can jump seven, three again, like I did in college, but I wouldn't, wouldn't mind applying. And I, I've never been afraid to throw myself into the, to the lab as it were, you know, to do the experimenting on me before I, I do it with my athletes. So, um, that's kind of where my brain goes from time to time. Like, Hey, you know, I still feel pretty good. I can get off the ground a little bit. So, you know, let's try this out. So that's, that's what I'm thinking. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get him. I I think I actually, you know, just direct messaged him one day and said, hey, you know, you can use me as a case study. Just teach me, teach me everything and, you know, film me and, you know, you know, you can say, hey, here's here's the before and after with this, this broken down old, you know, guy that used to jump over stuff. And, uh, you know, he started doing our training program. And now watch. Now look at this. You know, you'd never believe this guy was 59. That's kind of what I'm yeah. thinking. So. If there's a way to make that work, let's see if we can do it. <laughs> we'll love that. That'd be cool. Famous. All right, Coach. Well, hey, again, I, I really appreciate your time and uh, your expertise. Um, best of luck at your uh, state finals. Sounds like, like you said, in 10 days, it's all done. And uh, nothing else to train okay, for. Well, well, thank you, Troy. And that is going to wrap up another episode of Raise the Bar. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Troy Haynes, signing off. We thank Tony Holler uh, for his unbelievably outstanding contributions to uh, track and field, to um, bettering our coaching uh, prospects and uh, teaching us a better way to succeed, uh, one that seems, in my mind, to be uh, overdue um, and kind of has, has been heading this direction, I believe, for a while now. I think I think there's enough coaches that have been frustrated by a, um, a lack of results <clears throat> and uh, a, a prevalence of injuries to some of their best athletes. And, you know, we're, we finally seems like we found out enough to uh, to smarten up and to lighten up and to reap the benefits of not training our athletes into the ground. So, Thanks again, Tony, for uh, Feed the Cats and those philosophies. Uh, you don't have to look far to find uh, Tony Holler and his, um, you know, the Feed the Cats stuff. I, I looked it up on on the, the web and it, it comes right up. You can uh, buy his DVDs. You can um, get all kinds of access to, uh, you know, articles and uh, uh, everything that, that Tony's been doing for the last 10 years that has... Uh, revolutionized his life and his coaching. So um, until next time, this is Troy Haynes signing off and be ready to raise that bar.